Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by Freelancer Magazine, helping you grow a freelance business you love, sharing inspirational stories from freelancers around the world, freelance-specific business advice, practical tips, trends, events, and lifestyle features. Freelancers around the world are already getting Freelancer Magazine through their letterbox and in their inbox, because there's a digital version too. But if I were you, I'd get those... Sweet glossy pages in your hand. Find out more and start your subscription at freelancermagazine.co.uk. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For copywriter Eddie Schleiner. Freelancers are usually really self motivated people, really driven people, passionate people. I think you have to be because if you don't make yourself do it, then nobody will. There's got to be an element of gratitude with what you have. Growth for the sake of growth is like the ideology of a cancer cell. If you don't know why you're growing, if you don't know who the audience you're going after is, if, if you're always just chasing numbers and metrics without really focusing on craft, without really focusing on, on what it is that you started all of this for in the first place, there's something inherently wrong about that. I started to feel like a void if I wasn't working or if I wasn't producing. Some people get their dopamine hits from drugs, from alcohol. Some people get their dopamine hits from making something new and sharing it and seeing the response and seeing the growth of you know, whatever it was you were building from nothing. And so it was a matter of like rewiring my brain to think differently and to you know, reprioritize a lot of the things in my life that we're maybe kind of like going by the wayside a little bit yeah so there is eddie he started a blog called very good copy and a whole lot of very good things came off the back of that we will find out more very soon indeed hope you're good it's been such an awesome week for me so basically i've now been full-time freelance because i've freelanced on the side for many many years but i've been full-time freelance for 10 years and when I last quit my last job, I never thought I'd have an office Christmas party again. But this week, we had loads of us from the Being Freelance community go out for a proper work, in quotation marks, Christmas lunch in London in a proper old looking pub. Dinner, we had crackers, we played darts, we walked the streets met strangers, ended up in pubs. Oh, it was so much fun. Thank you to everybody who came. Honestly, finding people to hang out with and to be freelance with has been the best thing that I've done. And you can come join us too in the Being Freelance community. Even if you think, well, I'm never going to be able to get to one of those live things. Doesn't matter. We still have loads of great connection on all the online things that we do as well. So please do come find us. Please don't be alone being freelance in 2024 or whichever year you happen to listen to this if you're from the future. Yeah, come find us. Go to beingfreelance.com slash community. We have regular co-working. We sometimes just bunk off and play Mario Kart on our Switches. <laughs> there's extra live shows. If you enjoy the podcast, I think you'll like those called the Freelance Disco. Anyway, there's loads. Go find out all about it. Beingfreelance.com slash community. Right now, let's crack on. Head to Chicago, chat to freelance copywriter and founder of Very Good Copy, Eddie Schlainer. Hey, Eddie. Hey, man. Nice to, nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Oh, well, I, yeah, I think it was a symptom of uh, starting 
my blog and newsletter. I, I have a I have a newsletter called Very Good Copy, and I've just been kind of working on it on the side uh, for a while while I was working in house at software companies and agencies. And uh, eventually, it got to the point where you know I was marketing it in earnest, and and uh, I was getting more subscribers, and so that's what brought in a lot of opportunity. I think uh, you know a lot of people started reaching out to me through that. And uh, one day I got a really big opportunity and I quit my job. <laughs> wow. Okay. So to put things in perspective, when did you start the newsletter and when did it get so big that you thought, yeah, actually, okay, I'm out of here. I bought the Very Good Copy Dome in, in 2014, I think. And I was just kind of like piddling around with it. I didn't have a newsletter or anything like that. I was just kind of posting on the blog. And it was really just for my own education. You know, I would come into an insight. I would come into information that I thought was interesting about copywriting, about marketing, about creativity. And then I would write about it as a way to kind of like prove to myself that I understood that concept, that technique, that principle, what have you. And uh, then I would post it. And then I would feel confident enough using those uh, those principles, those techniques in my promotions. So that's that's how it started. You know, I, I did that for several years. And then I got hired at a company called G2.com, which is basically like a, like a Yelp, but for B2B. Mm-hmm. You know, I got hired there essentially on the back of very good copy. I think the the CMO there and, and the marketing team there like that I had this initiative, like that I did this thing. It wasn't a big thing at all, but it was just something that showed, you know, my kind of passion, I guess, for, for marketing and, and for copywriting. And so they hired me there. And then there was just a ton of support from everybody that I worked with, all of my colleagues. They were like, hey, we love your little articles. Um, you know, you should write more of them and then you should market them. And I think I was really, really lucky to work with a team of extremely talented, extremely smart, much smarter than me, growth marketers that helped me spread my work around the internet really efficiently. And so it was about from 2018 to 2020 where the blog, the newsletter really took off it was like that two, two and a half year period that I was working there that I really began kind of like focusing on it in earnest, which is another, it was another very lucky break for me that I worked with people that were totally cool with me having this side project and doing this thing on the side, you know, dedicating some of my like creative energy and like resources to that. But I think that they really liked the fact that I was bringing a lot of the things that I was learning and a lot of the practice that I, mm. that I had, you know, writing and, and creating campaigns for myself to the team at large at G2. So, um, yeah, yeah. To answer your question, really long-winded way of doing it, but it was like from 2018 to 2020 where it really took off, and then I quit G2 in about October 2020, right in the middle of COVID. Unbelievably, but that's when I that's when I left. So for all that time, though, when you were building it, you know, it sounds like people are going, "Oh, he really knows what he's talking about." Copywise, can we hire him? And they're approaching you. Were you doing freelance projects on the side, or would you just say, "Oh, I'm not actually for hire"? Not really. Maybe I took on a couple or something, but I, I can't even remember. Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, probably probably wasn't freelancing while I was at G2. But I was, you know, very good copy was like an account in and of itself. It was writing the stuff, marketing the stuff, you know, just figuring out that system. And so that was in and of itself kind of like a, a, a freelance project for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the freelancing work, like to make a living, that didn't really take off until I left G2. I mean, I love it. You spend years almost accidentally positioning yourself as an expert, making yourself an expert, learning along the way. But you said that when you're at G2, that they helped you spread your 
work around the internet efficiently like yes what what changed like what did you start doing that was differently at that point well they encouraged me to start posting on social media a lot more namely linkedin you know linkedin is probably my greatest source of of leads and greatest source of i guess attention for the blog and the newsletter and they just showed me these little hacks that i really leaned into and really doubled down on to get as many views on my work as possible and to like just create growth loops that would amplify the reach of the post you know every single time i post it so i think that's that's what changed is that i started getting really smart and really strategic about how i didn't get smart but smart people told me <laughs> what to do i just started getting really really strategic about how to move my my work around the internet and then it and then it just became like okay well how well can i write like how well can i i put this put this essay together or put this interview together like how how well can i do it because i know that it's going to get a lot of reach so it was just that combination of attaining that reach spreading that content around efficiently and then also making sure that it was as, as good as I could, as it could be it was that one two punch so eventually somebody comes along and says would you like to do this project? And you can't say no. So there was just a situation where I was like, man, you know, this is like four or five months salary. So I talked to my wife about it and she was like, yeah, you should do this. And I was like, but it's COVID. And I was like, well, like super precarious. And she's like, yeah, I think you could do it. And uh, so, you know, a huge credit to her uh, for believing in me and like, you know, just being supportive of me and you know, giving me the the confidence to kind of go for it at that point, uh, because I'm not sure that I would have done that without her blessing and encouragement. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that sounds like a pretty meaty project to get started on. So was it one thing that you worked on? And then what happened when you get into the end of that and you think, okay, actually, <laughs> now I need more of these kind of things. Right. Well, I was lucky that I had a, a steady stream of leads coming in from the newsletter and just from the growth that I was seeing online and on LinkedIn. So I think I was just in a, a lucky situation. I, it was a, just one of those things where I had a pipeline. And so I decided to act on probably the biggest opportunity that I had, but there seemed to always be like other smaller things that I could take on to kind of fill the, um, you know, fill fill the gaps, and and then I was I also had other revenue streams. You know, the the newsletter was taking on sponsors at that point, so I had sponsorships, and so there was different revenue streams that I could fall back on, that kind of like ease the the pressure a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it was that yeah, there was there was one kind of mega project that kind of put me over the edge. Yeah, in that case, you've got all those leads coming in. How do you filter them? How did you, how do you filter to know what to work on? You know, it was just the most interesting stuff for me personally. I think, you know, if I found an opportunity where, you know, was, I was really interested in the company or like their mission or their audience, the market that they were going after. Um, and by interesting, I mean, like it was just, it was just something that I knew a lot about and I knew that I could do a good job you know, and without that much research, that much product marketing work behind it. Um, that was something I probably prioritized. Yeah, obviously, you know, financially, you know, if, if uh, the economics were right and people had a big budget and, um, you know, they were, they were ready to 
you know, commit to a, to a bigger investment than, uh, than average, then that was interesting to me. Uh, yeah. So, you know, regular, regular stuff. (laughs) How did you know what to charge? You know, you've been employed for a long time. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with the business side of things? It's a great question. And it's, there's no like formula. There's no science to it. Really. I just worked at enough big software companies and enough big agencies, I guess, to know the significance of good copy and the impact that it can have and how it can scale across an organization. And so, you know, one thing you could do is look at their, you know, their, their average deal size, you know, what is, what is one sale worth to them? And then you can extrapolate that and figure out, you know, if I rewrite this landing page for you or rewrite this, this email sequence for you. And, you know, these are direct response assets, conversion assets. You know, if I increase the conversion rate by X amount, what does that look like on your end for your bottom line? You know, you could do the math on that and then, and then, uh, and then charge accordingly. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably, that's probably how it started. And then I just kind of landed on a, on a day rate at a certain point. Mm. And then I ended up just going with that day rate because it was easier and there was less math probably. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, create case studies like did you build a portfolio or did you simply put name you know i've worked with this person or was it all on the basis of this reputation that you built for yourself well no i I didn't create case studies or or anything like that i i basically just kept on writing very good copy the newsletter and uh just kept on honing that and i would diligently collect testimonials from people that i worked with in like a conversion capacity, you know, so if I worked with somebody that, you know, hired me for a landing page, hired me for an email sequence, hired me for conversion work, not content work, then I would always make sure to kind of record proof of that work and get them to vouch for my work that way. So that's, that's something I did do. I didn't, I didn't create case studies though, but yeah, I I definitely collected testimonials. I definitely doubled down on a very good copy, growing the newsletter, helping people write better copy themselves Mm. and kind of just led with value, you know, across the newsletter, across LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, growing my brand that way. And I think, I think that did a lot of the, the heavy lifting for me. Did you have a system at all when it came to asking for testimonials? Because I know sometimes people are, they, they get stuck at that bit. I would just ask, I mean, you know, somebody might write back and be like, oh my God, like, you know, we're, we're seeing this and this conversion rate, uh, increase. I'd be like, oh, that's great. I'm collecting testimonials this week. You know, would you mind, would you mind putting one together for me? Later on, I started working with a company called testimonial.to, which is basically just a tool that helps you collect, aggregate testimonials really easily and then display them really elegantly on a site. Um, so I'm a huge fan of them. Uh, and that made collecting the testimonials, I guess, technically easier, logistically easier. Because uh, I would just send somebody to a landing page and then they could record one or they could write a text testimonial or something like that. Um, and I wouldn't, it wouldn't have to all be through email. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't a system as much as it was just me shamelessly <laughs> asking. <laughs> okay, I've got to ask then, because clearly the root of all this goes back to starting that email, starting a blog, starting to create regularly. So how regularly were you doing very good copy? On average, I would send out an, uh, a new email, a new like micro essay every week. 
But on LinkedIn, I would post daily almost because I had this backlog of all of these essays and interviews that I did. And so, you know, I just looked at that as like marketing the business. You know, that was just, that was just my way of marketing the newsletter, marketing the agency. That was just my way of bringing attention to those assets. And uh, so new work would come out weekly, but then I would, you know, put stuff into syndication essentially, you know, and um, that probably did more for the newsletter than some of the new work, you know, just kind of like constantly being top of mind, constantly kind of showing up. And so would you be sharing, and maybe I'm going to get the LinkedIn lingo wrong, would you be sharing a post direct to your feed, you know, or would you be creating an article that people would click into? Would it be one of those carousels taking learning points from USA? Or would it, you know, like how, how did it look and feel? I would experiment, you know, I would put down a text post one one day, create a carousel, like, you know, take one of my articles, turn them into a carousel and and uh, put that down another day. And then, you know, sometimes I'll take an excerpt out of an article and create a shorter post. And it was just, I'd always try to mix it up and see what worked. And sometimes I would double down on the things that worked. And sometimes I would be like, no, I want to be an artist, you know, and, and <laughs> I, would, I would do something, I'd do something out, of, out of left field, you know, that didn't get any play, but it brought me satisfaction. You know, I just, I did whatever, I did whatever I kind of, I, I wanted to do, I think, because it, it, was satisfying on its face and if i was running a campaign you know i i eventually started selling a course and you know started to try to productize the brand and so you know if i was running a a campaign i would be a little bit more disciplined with the campaign the assets that i put out you know i i would uh hold myself really accountable um but i was just trying to get people to the site to draw awareness and you know hopefully get some subscribers i just put up whatever I wanted. And would each one have a call to action, I guess, of pointing them in the direction of your newsletter? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's the growth loop that I, that I started with. And to a very large degree, it's what I still do. I mean, there's diminishing returns there and I don't know if it's working as well as it used to, but essentially I would write an article and then I would publish it on LinkedIn and then I would have a CTA underneath the article, or if it was a carousel at the end of the carousel, I'd be like, hey, if you like this, I've got hundreds more on verygoodcopy.com. Go check it out. People would go to verygoodcopy.com. New, new, I guess, readers, you could say, would go to verygoodcopy.com. A good percentage of them would convert because the whole site is really designed to get people into the newsletter to convert. I would send the same article that I just posted on LinkedIn out to the newsletter. And I would ask people at the end of that article to go to LinkedIn to leave a comment, to leave a like, you know, support it if they liked it. And then that, those comments, those likes, that support that people showed me from the newsletter would amplify the reach of the post and bring new people in. And those new people would see the CTA to go to very good copy. And it would just become this virtuous circle. Right. Uh, so that's, that's what I did. And like I said, there's probably some diminishing returns there over time, but now it's just kind of like, you know, it's just part of my process. It's just what I what I do every week. And speaking of like doing it every week, do you kind of like batch this or are you like just rocking up every day and thinking, okay, going to jump on LinkedIn and do this thing? Yeah, I think I would batch and do my best to 
prepare for the coming weeks as far as like posting mm-hmm. posting goes um, and like syndicating some of the content. I would do my best to to prepare as far as like new content goes as well, but that's harder. Like sometimes it's just hard to wake up and say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this article today and send it out tomorrow." You know, as much as I'd love to do that, it doesn't it doesn't always work that way. So with writing, with like new content, I always have like a like a dedicated block of writing time per day. But if I get something finished in that you know in that block is is kind of up in the air. Yeah. I don't know if I'm actually gonna gonna complete something, produce something. It's a little less predictable. So you mentioned a course. At what point did you bring that in, into the world? I pre-sold that in November of 2022. And then I launched it in January of 23. So I pre-sold it. And it was like, it was like eye popping. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, I better, uh, I better nail this. So I, I disappeared for three months. I just stopped. I just literally stopped everything. I didn't go online. I didn't answer my emails. I didn't send out a newsletter. I just, I was just heads down for three months working on finishing the writing and recording and just putting together this course. And then, um, yeah, I launched it in January and that has actually been the main driver of business. I would say I'm starting to pare down the the freelancing and, and starting to kind of focus on uh, marketing that course and creating other products under the under the very good copy kind of umbrella because it's so much more scalable. Amazing. So you took three months off this newsletter that you've been doing weekly for, I don't know, maybe eight, ten, yeah, eight years maybe by that point. How did you feel about that? <laughs> this the, the, the thing that made it happen or was it just, oh, it's okay. I've pre-sold all these things. I'll tell them I'm like the ultimate out of office has just been sent. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you do get, I think if you're, a creative person and you're in, a, in and you're used to making something on a weekly basis or on any kind of cadence there's going to be like a little bit of tension when you stop and you're going to feel like all sorts of emotions you know maybe the FOMO of like miss, missing out on creating something new the FOMO of missing out on on building what you've been building um just like the pent up like kind of creative energy maybe but I didn't really have that. I was I was busy making something, so you know I didn't feel that that pent up kind of tension. Uh, and also, it was kind of like the holidays. You know, it was like no late November, December, into January. I mean, I don't know, like if anybody was really like, you know, obviously people are out there doing stuff, but it's the holidays, so <laughs> it it was. I didn't feel like, oh man, I'm like this. This is my prime time you know, for the year, it's, it's usually time that I would slow down anyway. So I had thought about it a little bit, you know, beforehand. And I thought, okay, I'm going to capitalize on Black Friday on this, on this time when people are buying a lot of things, using up their, their spend at work, the L&D spend, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to capitalize on that. And then I'm going to take the time that uh, is usually my downtime and I'm, and I'm really going to work hard. But you say that you're going to do more of that switching away from doing more of the actual copywriting clients yeah i think i'm definitely going to make more courses uh not because i not just because it's it's scalable and it's good business but because i really enjoy it Mm. and i think that way it it scales how much i can you know help people in a really meaningful way 
Um, it's definitely by far my the most practical and like actionable, you know, work I've ever done as far as like teaching people things. So I enjoy I enjoy it for that reason. But I'm I'm also not. I don't think I'm ever going to stop freelancing. I don't think I'm ever going to stop taking on clients. I think it, as a copywriter uh, or, you know, anybody doing creative work, it keeps you extremely fresh. You know, solving real world problems is a really good way to, um, you know, just stay on top of your craft and not become kind of complacent, you know, because it does force you to do things maybe that you're uncomfortable with, you know, and, uh, you know, look at things in a different way look at problems in a different way. Um, and that's just not something that I can really force myself to do. Um, you know, it's like, I know how to write the essays that I write, uh, really well. Like I, there's, there's just no, there, like, it's just second nature to me at this point. You know, I know how to market my business, you know, really well. It's second nature. But if somebody comes to me with a, a business problem in their company, uh, you know, that's something that I have to think about and that kind of like that works a different muscle. And so it's, it's a really valuable thing to do. So I don't think I'll ever stop doing it. How have you found the work-life balance? Well, you know, I, I could have, I could have worked less, I think <laughs> I could have worked a lot less. Um, and I, and I have been working less a couple of years ago, we had our first kid. So my son Bo came and, and I was like, you know, out of necessity, I had to, I had to s slow down, but also, you know, eventually I was like, wait, I'm kind of, you know, if I'm working all the time, kind of missing the point here, you know, like that was a real transformational moment, like an illuminating moment for me. And so like, I, yeah, I made a lot of, a lot of decisions and took a lot of steps to make sure that I wasn't working as much. Uh, and now, you know, we just had a se our, our, our second kid, my daughter is here and it's like, now I really need to be smart about my time and smart about, you know, what I'm investing in. And so, yeah, I'm just, I feel, I feel like I put in a lot of work for 10 years, maybe stuffed more than 10 years of work into those 10 years, maybe 15 years, maybe more. I just, it was just, it was a labor of love. I loved doing it. I was really passionate about it. I think I got lucky in that sense that I found something that I really love to do and something that you know, people thought that I was good at and uh, that just motivated me and, and gave me like the conviction, the conviction to kind of like sit down and, and get it done. And so I worked a lot and like built up a lot of kind of equity in that sense. And so now that I have these things, these assets, like I just want to use them wisely and try to make as much space and room for my family as I can. So yeah, that's definitely number one for me at the moment. Nice. What have you found the most challenging part of being freelance well yeah i mean to piggyback off my last answer is kind of like figuring out when to slow down you know figuring out like how to kind of like how to like chill out um you know freelancers are usually really self-motivated people really driven people passionate people i think you have to be to enter into you know a freelance career because if you don't make yourself do it then nobody will and uh you know, so nobody's breathing down your neck to go and find clients or to to kind of make this work. You got to do it, you know? So I think that for a long time, that was really hard for me. It was just like figuring out how I was going to, you know, slow down and, and focus on other things that were important, you know, my mental health, my friends, my family. That was tricky because 
I started to feel like a void if I wasn't working or if I wasn't producing. Um, yeah, it was a difficult situation sometimes because I think it was chemical, you know, like some people get their dopamine hits from drugs, you know, from alcohol. There's all sorts of ways to get that dopamine. Some people get their dopamine hits from, uh, you know, making something new and sharing it and seeing the response and seeing the growth of, you know, whatever it was you were building from nothing. So I was probably in that latter, in that latter camp. And so it was, it was like a matter of like rewiring my brain to think differently and to, you know, reprioritize a lot of the things in my life that, um, you know, were maybe kind of like going by the wayside a little bit. Back with Eddie in a moment. If you're new to freelancing, maybe you're in your first year, maybe you're doing it on the side, thinking, oh, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. <laughs> That's perfectly normal. Now, there's no one way to be freelance, but from nearly, what are we now, nine years of doing this podcast, I've had so many conversations with so many freelancers that it helped me pull together all of their assorted experiences and knowledge to create the course called How to Get Started Being Freelance. Everything from getting yourself around the fact that you are a business to finding clients, dealing with clients, managing your workload, managing to take time off. It's all in there and it's all at beingfreelance.com. Click on course and you can check it out for yourself. It's the course that I wish I had when I started, but you can have now. Plus, the course now includes six months free membership of the Being Freelance community. So you'll be on that road surrounded by other people who are already doing it. Win, win. Find out more right now, beingfreelance.com slash course. Okay, let's get back to Eddie's story. You mentioned earlier about LinkedIn and Twitter. Is that the extent of your social media? You've avoided Instagram, for example, or whatever. Yeah, basically. I mean, I don't, I have an Instagram profile. I have a Reddit profile. Um, I have a Twitter profile and I don't really use it. Um, you know, it's kind of like a silent Twitter at this point. LinkedIn has just been good to me. I think as a platform, they gave me the little blue thing, which was just like a, like a credit, like, you know, just, just, I think an investment in, in me and a, like a credibility boost. And so I think that that was fortuitous. Uh, but that came on the back of a lot of support from that community. I think, you know, I think that that community was just extremely receptive to what I was putting out there. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Um, I also think that like the medium was right for me. You know, I, I wrote articles that were, you know, a few hundred words. And at the time, like Twitter just wasn't accommodating that. And LinkedIn posts were. And so like the medium is the message and my, my message fit that medium. You know what I mean? And so it just all came together really well on LinkedIn. And that's where I grew the most. And that's, that's where I've basically been. And it's, you know, it's also my speed you know it's just everybody there <laughs> birdiest place it's a considerate place like yeah. it's an it's not an anonymous place you know yeah. it's a it's a business-minded place and um this is a business and so yeah yeah, yeah it's interesting because it's, it's, uh, things come along don't they especially as a writer as well um most recently substack and medium uh, I'm sure there's others that I've forgotten and lost along the way. 
So when you see those, are you tempted by them? Do you look at side glance them? Think, what if I can put myself in front of new, more new people? Or yeah, no, sure. Platforms that have like growth mechanisms built into them are really interesting to me. So, you know, if if there's a platform out there that can recommend you automatically, like if there there's a built-in engine that recommends you to, you know, other, mm. you know, other other folks or or. You know, there's there's engines out there that like help you collaborate with other writers in your field, and you know help help you help you grow that way organically. I think that's cool, and I and that is something that I'm interested in. Uh, it's it's just it's a big deal, I think, to switch platforms. Like I'm on Mailchimp. I've been on Mailchimp for ten years. I, you know, I, I realize that it's not like optimal for me at this at this point, but um, it's just a it's just a whole thing, you know? So like, I gotta, I gotta be able to like sit down and, and focus on that transition for a few weeks in order to do it uh, correctly, you know? But the other, the other thing is like, you know, there's, there's gotta be an element of gratitude with what you have and growth for the sake of growth is like the ideology of a cancer cell with some philosopher said that and it's true. Like if you don't know why you're growing, if you don't know who the audience you're going after is if if you're always just chasing numbers and metrics and just trying to trying to watch the numbers tick up without really focusing on on craft without really focusing on on what it is that you started all of this for in the first place you know there's something inherently wrong about that you know what i mean so chasing the next platform chasing the next thing that's just feeding into that narrative mm-hmm. and so it's something that I do want to be thoughtful about and avoid that as much as possible. Um, not to say that I'm, I'm not going to move to a different platform and I'm going to use all of those features uh, that they have to my advantage, but just kind of like keep things in perspective. You know, like I think that as a creator, you have like growth mode and then you have like craft mode and it's important to focus on growth mode. Like, and I've been focused on it for a while. Like you have to grow. You have to get your work in front of an audience, you know, to to ultimately start attracting freelance clients. You have to sacrifice some things about the way that you work and and what you're making in order to grow faster, in order to get bigger and create a business and have a career. But at a certain point, you have to think like, okay, like, do I do I need more than sixty thousand email subscribers to make a living? Like, do I need more than a hundred thousand, you know, LinkedIn followers to make a living? Probably not. Like you, you have way more than you need, you know? So at what point do you switch over to craft and say, okay, I'm really going to double down on my work. I'm really going to double down on, you know, what got me into this in the first place, what's important to me. And I find that most people that do that, the growth comes naturally. You know what I mean? Like the growth is going to be there if you just focus on the things that are important to you, making them as well as you can. You know, all that effort that you put into growth marketing that's all going to be swallowed up by the by the fact that you're putting quality work out there and, and giving it everything you can. Amazing. You obviously had people around you at G2 who helped you that you mentioned earlier. Have there been other people, particularly as you've gone from having a side project into, well, you call yourself the founder of Very Good Copy, you know, like into running a business of, of of looking at it differently. Like, Are there people helping you or do you figure it all out yourself? No, I certainly don't figure it all out myself. I mean, 
the 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 creative piece yes like doing the work that's all me um but my wife has been a huge part of this business i mean she is she is the the silent partner so to speak like she's a cpa she's an accountant and she's just extremely talented at all the things that i'm really bad at you know <laughs> invoicing people having like having those financial conversations like figuring out how to get some get set up in someone's ap system just doing everything you you need to do as a freelancer to get paid i'm not good at that stuff and uh you know I, i'm not good at all of the admin mm. um and that's her forte and so you know just like she was there with me when i started freelancing in 2020 and i and i took that really big leap and and felt really nervous about it really you know it was such a precarious moment for me she was there for me then and then she's kind of persisted with me all the way through taking on a lot of this administrative responsibility that you know like i said i'm just not i'm just not good at that stuff um so if it wasn't for her if it wasn't for her figuring out that end of the business and kind of running it for me i would not be anywhere near as as uh, as productive or happy as i am now Eddie, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two yeah. true, one a lie, and let me figure yeah. out the lie. What do you have for me? So my three are, number one, I grew a chicken feather in college. Number two, I was a speechwriting intern for the Obama administration. And number three, uh, I squat 425. <laughs> you did what to a chicken? I grew a chicken feather in college. A chicken feather? I grew a chicken feather in college, that's right. In a Petri dish or on the side of your face? Like what? No, I grew it I grew it on my shoulder. <laughs> well, this was in college, you know. I was I was I was broke and I didn't have a huge variety of food at my disposal. I would go to the local seven eleven yeah. and I would pick up pick up eggs from seven eleven and I would go to the Chipotle around the corner, I would eat Chipotle. But I was eating a lot of eggs, and one day I woke up, and there was this maybe five or six inch long blonde hair on my shoulder, and I don't have a blonde hair on me. You know what I mean? So I was like, "Man, this is really disturbing." You know, I it was it was straight up attached. So I went to the health clinic on campus, and I saw a doctor, and he questioned me about my diet. And he was like, "What are you What are you eating these days?" And I was like, "A lot of Chipotle, a lot of a lot of." Uh, chicken products, a lot of eggs. And he's like, he's like fresh eggs. And I'm like from the 7-Eleven. And he's like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe go to a, you know, a grocery store for your eggs because the hormones that they're putting in the, in the eggs are manifesting themselves in, in your body as a, as a, as this long <laughs> hair. But really that's just like, uh, that's a chicken feather, but you can't grow a chicken feather, so you sprouted a, a hair like that. That's what I. That's what I was told. There might be a doctor listening to it. Like this is ridiculous, but that's yeah. You know. Okay, because I was yeah. joking when I said it came out of your face. You actually grew a chicken yeah. feather because you came ate out of my too many hormone infested egg. Okay, right. Correct. Correct. I mean that is uh, okay. Next, you. You wrote speeches for the Obamas. Well, I didn't write speeches for for Obama, but I I was an intern with uh, John Favreau, who was his speechwriter. Right, and so I worked relatively closely with him, writing speeches, thinking through concepts, essentially um, 
doing my best, which is not that good when you're around talented people. <laughs> and, and so where, where was that? So I was in college. There was a national, um, I guess, search for, uh, for college interns. They came to our school. They came, I was at U of I. They came to U of I. It wasn't John Favreau, but it was somebody that re- represented the speechwriting team. And they were looking for, I was an English major. They were looking for English majors who would, were interested in that type of work, who wanted to work with presidential speechwriters. And so that's how I got, that's how I got that chance. There were, there were others. I mean, I wasn't the only one, obviously, but there was about a dozen of us from all around the country. And, and we worked hand in hand with his speechwriting team to, to make it as good as we, as, as good as, as good as they could. But, you know, was I a, was I a speechwriter? I wouldn't go so far as sales a speechwriter, but I was I was interning with uh, with John Favreau and and uh, contributing to the process. I would say the final one was so you can bench. I can squat uh, four hundred and twenty five pounds. Four hundred twenty five pounds now, nearly two hundred kilograms. That's right. Yeah. So to put it in perspective, <sighs> you know, an NFL lineman in the National <laughs> Football League, you know, that an NFL lineman might. My squat five hundred if they're if they're kind of if they're on the beat. I thought you were about to say an NFL lineman might weigh five hundred pounds. He might, he might. No, but they usually they usually weigh in the three hundreds, and a lineman might squat anywhere between five five fifty and you know seven hundred or eight hundred pounds. So just to to put it in perspective, but a good example is is uh, Jalen Hurts, the quarterback on the Eagles. He squats six hundred pounds. I don't squat 600 pounds, but I squat okay, 425, yeah. and I'm a little bit older than Jalen Hurts. I'm 35, you know, so uh, I'm a little bit older. I, I got to give it to myself. All right. <sighs> is, this hard? is this hard for you, Steve? Well, is you this know, one of the harder ones? It, it is hard because everything about it tells me that the chicken feather isn't true. I kind of feel like the squat, like, and don't take offense, compared to a chicken feather story, it's so yes. dull that it kind of feels like that must be true. Obama, very, you know, you're clearly good with words. So why could that not be true? The chicken feather is so ridiculous, though, that it it also has the tinge of truth. I don't, everything about me says you can't start sprouting feathers because you've eaten too many eggs. This is some sort of Hans Christian Andersen, Roald Dahl-esque nonsense. No, I've no sensible hat on. The chicken is the lie. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the chicken feather is absolutely 100 percent true. At least according to the physician on hand at McKinley uh, uh, Medical Center at, at uh, the University of Washington. That is what I was told over the years. People have been incredulous, but that was his story, and I'm sticking to it. Absolutely. Okay, so you didn't write for the Obamas? No, unfortunately, I did not. That would have been awesome. <sighs> I did not write for the Obamas. I I don't know John Favreau personally. Yeah. Being a presidential speechwriter would be like an amazing uh, honor and a dream job. So I had to I had to squeeze that one <sighs> in there. Do my best to lie to you. I'm sorry about that, man. Works. Wow. Okay. Well, in a weird kind of way, I'm glad it's true. 
uh, the chicken story. Now, Eddie, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? You have to stay with it, you know, and you have to be resilient, pace yourself and do everything you have to do for yourself, but also just like be realistic and like stay the course. And eventually it will turn into something that's very comfortable uh, and very convenient for your life. You know, I think it's just a matter of having that resolve to push through the the hardest parts of, of this business, which is just the precariousness and like not knowing what's what's coming next. That takes a huge, I think, emotional toll and psychological toll. And so figuring out how to cope with those things and just realizing that like there's much, much better days ahead uh, and that it's all worth it because freelancing is such a beautiful, is such a beautiful way to, to make a living, you know, being your own boss and like kind of setting your, your own rules and your own, your own schedule. Um, it just, that doesn't come immediately. And I think, you know, a lot of people kind of like fall into this trap of thinking that the way it feels right now in year one or two is the way it's always going to feel. But, but that's just not true. Eddie, it's been so good to talk to you. Um, go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through so you can find Eddie and very good copy. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you use the word luck so often and you put all the credit on lots of smart and lovely people around you. But um, clearly none of this would happen without you sticking with it either, Eddie. So good for you. But it is luck, Steve. I mean, <laughs> it, like I have just been, I've just been so fortunate throughout so many different parts of my career that I met the right person or I stuck around long enough at something that, that I got an opportunity or, you know, just luck has played an enormous role in, in, uh, in my career. So luck is a, is a huge part of it as well. And, uh, I can't, I can't give that, I, I can't give that enough credence for yeah. sure. But you, you make, do you, do you think there is a way though to make your own luck or to spot those? opportunities sometimes maybe they're there and they pass us by because we're not looking with the right optimism of or whatever no definitely i mean the fact that i had this thing on the side and was doing things that maybe most full-time writers copywriters weren't doing that was a way of like making maybe your own luck right there you know just like putting in that effort and maybe doing what most people weren't doing at that time because it was just kind of like squirreling away nuts, you know, just like building this, building this little thing that like, just like little by little, it became bigger and bigger. And that's where the opportunities came from. So I think, yeah, was, was I, was I, was I lucky over and over again? Absolutely. But a big part of that was, yeah, I just, I just felt strongly enough about something to, to keep doing it. Amazing. Eddie, thank you so much. And all the best being freelance. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Tell you what, Eddie is pretty cool, isn't he? <laughs> Very cool. Um, Eddie, thank you so much for your time. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com and you'll find articles, hundreds of episodes of this podcast, including transcriptions and show notes, and uh, also details about the community and the course. So it's all there. Go to beingfreelance.com. Also, say hi to me on LinkedIn if you spot me there, or on Instagram, I am at beingfreelance. There's new episodes every other week, so one not too far around the corner. In the meantime, I'll see you on Instagram at beingfreelance and in the community. Uh, so come say hi there but you have a great week being freelance